Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Emerson Dameron is about California sober, something I am not, something that he is. Emerson is uh, a great friend of mine. He's been on the show for a very long time. I think he was one of our first guests in 2008. We've been doing the show since 2008. Uh, he's been on the show multiple times, most recently uh, about six months ago. He's clearly in California. I'm in Washington, D.C. And um, yeah, this is about cannabis and psychedelics and alcoholism. And it's uh, it's actually a fun episode and it's not too long either. Uh, something that's not fun is we now have a Patreon account. If you still have a job, please consider donating at youmethemeverybody.com. It's on our about page. It's on our about page. It's in this podcast description. Lots of different tiers. Once again, if you're gainfully employed, consider it. If not, I completely understand. Here's the show. I want to check in with every single person before I record, but maybe more importantly, whenever I'm talking about anything related to substances, I really mm-hmm. want to check in. And I don't know if that's like I'm lying to myself, but the same way that NPR always lists the suicide hotline anytime there's even a mention of suicide on NPR, I feel like I should do the same. So we're going to talk about California sober. Therefore, how are you emotionally and physically right now? Right at this moment, I'm fine. Okay, good, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it, it, they, these things are blunt instruments. Anybody that, uh, you know, they're not for everyone, especially if you're in your 20s and you're leaning toward schizophrenia, using psychedelics can be really bad news. So it's, and you don't want to order stuff off the dark web and set fire to your apartment. So you're doing this because it's, you think it's good for you. Yes, uh, I find certain substances to be useful tools for personal growth. Now, do you think that the majority of alcoholics, do you think the majority of people that drink think that alcohol is a tool for personal growth? No, okay. uh, that wasn't my experience. I, I, You know, it's complicated. I think um, a lot of times it substitutes for coping resources that aren't there. Hold on, really I mean, quick, hold on, really quick. Ma- are you talking about alcohol or are you talking about psychedelics? I'm talking about alcohol. Okay, thank you. Uh, for for the vast majority of people, I think it's a social lubricant and I think it's fine as such. Like most people can drink and have fun doing it and it's a way to get out there and get through their inhibitions and meet people that they may not have met otherwise and, and have adventures. And I think uh, within certain parameters, it's not a bad thing for most people. Okay. Now you've been very open about how it was very, probably not a good idea for you. Yeah, it was fun for me for a while. It actually, you know, I, I had the experience in, at times when I was in college and then into my twenties where it was a way to deal with social anxiety. Um, it kind of helped me put off dealing with some emotional difficulties that I was putting off dealing with. And it wasn't entirely bad. I've had some great experiences because of alcohol that I would not have had otherwise but I kept doing it way after it was useful and into uh, the realms in which it was doing a lot of damage. And I ended up nearly killing myself with it. 
Now, when you say nearly killing yourself, you're not just saying like I took too many pills on accident. You had um. I'm not also if that's the way people are taking pills, I'd like to apologize that I think that's how people OD on pills. But you, that's that's exactly what it. What oopsies. It's like. um, <laughs> they're just bad at math. You you were it was just a calculation problem. You work in medicine. You right. understand this. Uh, yours was a little different. Yeah, uh, mine culminated at the end of a two-week bender that started because I lost my job largely because of drinking, I would I would assume. And I ended up getting acute pancreatitis, mm-hmm. which is when the normally the pancreas secretes enzymes that help you digest food. And if you have pancreatitis, the enzymes turn on the pancreas uh, almost like an insurrection and start digesting the pancreas itself. Look at you with that and timely reference. That's right. Uh, and it's extraordinarily painful. Now, what year was and this? This was 2014. Okay. So I've known you a lot longer than that. I've known you probably 2000, 2001, 2002. And yeah, something like that. Back you would go in and out period. of sobriety. So for a long time, you wouldn't drink or for a long time, you would drink. Um, you hooked me up with arguably the most important job I've ever had, which was working in a bar that still has determined the outcome of my life. You are one of my favorite writers. and Oh, thank you. I love you, and you're one of my very good friends. And I feel like this is building up to something. This is. You were never someone I completely worried about when it came to alcoholism, even though I knew you would occasionally struggle with drinking. Do you think that's because you hit it well or that you were slightly more socially functional than a lot of the stereotypes or a lot of the mutual friends that we have? Yeah, I, I like to think that I have some modicum of self-awareness. Uh, there I, I think there I, were a handful of times where it's like, oh, this is like, you're, you're, ni- you're not 19 or 20, man. Like, you're closer to 40 than 20. This should not be happening. Right. It went on, the party went on longer than it should have. I would say that that was the main problem. I think substance abuse problems aren't, uh, and, and, you know, at this point, I don't think anyone really thinks that it's like a reefer madness, you know, devil situation where you just partake of, you know, you open the the box and the snakes come out and it's you're just destroyed by this horrible, magical substance. Mm-hmm. I think it's a interrelation of the chemical compound with a situation that's going on in your life and a lack of coping resources. And I think over time, um, I just started, you know, it started to dawn on me that my life was pretty constricted because of the amount that I was drinking. Uh, I had not developed the career trajectory that I wanted to have. You know, I hadn't pursued a lot of the things that I wanted to pursue because I was really limiting myself by getting drunk all the time. And it was no longer helping me with my anxiety. I think there was one time when I woke up in the morning after I'd gotten blackout drunk and I saw that I'd written myself a note that said, you are not happy. Whoa. 
That's which a is good a note. Yeah, that that would have been my bottoming out experience if I'd had if I'd really taken heed of that. But I guess I needed something more painful than that. Literally and literally more painful. Yes, I don't know if that answered your question. Doesn't but matter. You yeah, mentioned I think something. I, that... I knew for a long time that it wasn't really helping, and I just put off dealing with it until it, it got to be a pretty severe. And I was hiding it. Oh sure. Two Which things. is humiliating. Why right? is the worst humiliating? thing in the world is trying to act sober around your girlfriend's parents. No, that's not the worst feeling. Probably not. But that's it's not even something. like top fifty. <laughs> it's probably not as bad as waterboarding. Yeah, come on, <laughs> come on. So you mentioned that it was a coping resource. Two things have changed dramatically since 2014. Number one, you no longer live in a cold climate. You're in California, and number two. The acceptance, both culturally and I guess not even culturally, just like there's just more acceptance of cannabis and psychedelics, definitely cannabis across the board, and maybe yeah. more so in liberal cities. Super well-known uh, literati people are talking about microdosing like it's a normal thing that everyone could has access to, which is not the case, but maybe in California you actually do. So... Do you think you would have gone down that same path if you had moved to California earlier and if the culture at large was more accepting of things like cannabis and psychedelics? Oh, yeah. I, I think I've always kind of had psychedelic leanings. Okay. Uh, I've always been interested in exploring my psyche and I'm drawn to experimental art and music and uh, you know a lot of things that are that help you zoom out and go meta and kind of examine your own processes. And I definitely would have liked to have engaged with that stuff earlier. Uh, it is interesting that it's now, especially cannabis is the one thing that everyone in America seems to agree about. Mm -hmm. Like in the last election, it was like right down the middle on everything except we all want the drug war to to just end. Yeah. And that acceptance is happening very rapidly. I think you bring up or you allude to something interesting, which is in California, it's the um, psychedelics are definitely more available. Yeah. Uh, there's less secret handshakes and getting initiated into little subcultures and that kind of BS than, than you have to go through in most places uh, because it's, it's closer to the surface. It's easy enough to get acquainted with people that are for lack of a better word, fairly normal mm -hmm. that can help you find what you're looking for. You don't have to go to EDM festivals and, and stuff yeah. like that. Now, you say that. I don't think you're saying that as a joke, but that's one of the reasons why the city where we used to live, Chicago, was so cracked down on psychedelics and things like this so much because the mayor's son had a problem with it and bought some bad stuff at an EDM festival in like late 90s, early aughts in Chicago. And, there, and that screwed up an entire subculture of dance music and drugs. That's really interesting. I'm not that familiar with this. I'll link to it in the podcast description, but that deter like one error there 
set a certain city back where I think it set the city back because maybe this is just like a straight white male liberal thought. Obviously, all of them are for me. But you, if everything is legal, nothing is so scary and so taboo and more and less likely to be abused. That being said, right. alcohol has been legal forever and it's super easy to abuse. So what the fuck am I talking about? And the downside of alcohol is pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, so, the number of people that do mushrooms and beat up their partners is very low. But I am fearful that we, we mentioned the age earlier. Maybe this is the parent in me. Maybe this is, I don't know. I think I've always been like this. It's, it's when you're doing the thing you're doing that really matters. So your brain isn't done until 25. And if you're doing a bunch oh, of psychedelics yeah. at 16, I don't know how that could be good. It's going to have, I mean, I, there will probably be a downside. I was doing handfuls of antidepressants when I was a teenager. Uh, I started using Prozac when I was 15. And by the time I was old enough to drive, I was on uh, like half a dozen different antidepressants at, at any t any given time. One of them was Paxil, which... A few years ago, the New York Times wrote a story about how, you know, there had been a previous study that said Paxil was okay for teenagers. And then there was another study that determined that it's really counterindicated and is associated with criminality and suicide. So I, I'm also only speaking for myself. And I think whatever experiences I have now with medicines are probably filtered through whatever quirks of my brain development happened because of the massive amounts of pharmaceuticals that I was on when I was a kid. Do you and anyone's mileage is going to vary because of that. And it, because that being the case, I would say in the window between like 13 and 25, I would advise being really careful about anything like that. However, you know, part one of the things about being that age is you're not. Yeah. I think I was lucky that I was incredibly careful with all of this stuff. Like I've done zero drugs and I did no experimentation because being the poor kid in a rich kid school and seeing all the rich kids take all the drugs and then like get there was one kid that got in a car accident and lost three of his fingers and then the next weekend was going out to drink with his friends like that's I intentionally stayed away from everything that they liked for better or worse I think I missed out on a lot of in theory very fun times and I created my own like I definitely had an outlet for my anger and all that stuff but I didn't ever go down the like the overindulging booze or drug path because I just hated them so much. And maybe my hatred kept me safer. Yeah, I get that. You mentioned that you didn't pursue what you wanted to pursue. Do you feel like you've made up for that? Or is being California sober something that is preventing you from pursuing more? Or is it an aid? Or is it neither? I, I think I'm slowly making up for it. Uh, it's... I've I've definitely found it to be a creative enhancement. Okay. Um, the particularly, I was 
did clinical trials for ketamine as a drug for uh, treatment resistant depression a few years ago before it was starting to get mainstream acceptance to the point where Donald Trump was endorsing it. Um, and I found that to be really helpful for um, making things that did not just come straight from the bowels of depression. Okay. Like when I reread my old pre-ketamine writing, it seems like it's really drenched in kind of hopeless self-recrimination. And since then, I've been able to break out and write stuff that I find to be funnier and uh, more broad-minded and more interesting. And I've had an easier time connecting with people who are also doing interesting things. That's, think all, the, that's all fine and dandy, but I want to just let you know, your stuff is uh, still a little hopeless. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you, can, uh, you can take the boy out of, uh, <laughs> out of that. Uh, that state of mind but that's yeah I I, I I like to think that it's a little bit more um, poking fun at that aspect of my personality absolutely but no, I'm always going to be happier on the dark side or more comfortable at least one of the things I always ask myself when I'm afraid of an overindulging in anything is why am I doing what I'm doing and that has prevented me from doing stuff and that's also encouraged me to do things so do you ever ask yourself that question why am i doing what i'm doing yeah and i think that's what uh ketamine and and some of its cousins have been really good for it helps me zoom out i think a lot of creative work comes from yeah, what, why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Why mm. am I phrasing this in this way? Um, you know, what what's really going on here? And so, yeah, I try to do that all the time. Uh, I also would just say that I'd recommend for anyone that's going to explore this stuff, having a daily meditation practice is a really good precursor because it is a good way to get in the habit of checking in mm -hmm. on what's going on and you're less likely to get sucked into a whirlpool of, um, of weirdness that way. If you're able, if you, if you're in the habit of just snapping that rubber band on your wrist and, and coming back and checking in and, and thinking what, what's going on and, and why. Speaking of checking in, uh, you still go to AA meetings. That's right. Does this come up? Rarely. Uh, it, and it depends. There are different AA meetings, and they're very different depending on the people that are involved. Sure. Uh, there's one thing that I'm involved in on Discord, which is specifically for this. Uh, it's called Club Sober, and it's mostly ex ravers that are on this path. Now, uh, my favorite AA meeting in Los Angeles is in Hollywood and, um, it's called 45 minutes in and out. And I like it because they start on time and after 45 minutes, they kick everyone out. <laughs> uh, and I have a feeling that there are definitely people 
in that group that I could have sidebar conversations with about this and it would go well. But it's not something I really bring up because it's outside the bounds of the conversations that they generally have. And AA is very much a system Mm -hmm. and it works really well for some people. I find certain things about it to be really useful and certain things about it to be really antiquated and other things to be totally toxic, but it works really well for some people. And I don't want to intrude on that if that's what's happening. Do you, so I kind of avoid bringing up stuff that seems off topic. Do you, and also I don't, you know, for some people, this would be, unacceptable beyond the pale breaking the rules. So I'm a little self-conscious about that. Yeah. That's the thing I wanted to ask about. Do you agree that, or is there a stance of AA of psychedelics because it's not alcohol? So yeah, they'd probably say, just don't do it. Okay. <laughs> if, they, if there was a party line, like you, you, you can't do anything except coffee and cigarettes. Do you, do you still, you don't smoke anymore? That's right. I don't. Do you miss it? Not anymore. Okay. Uh, I made it a year and then I smoked a cigarette just to see how it would go. And my reaction was, I, what was the appeal of this? Uh, drinking with and smoking. That's the appeal. Yes. Yeah. They, they go well together. And drinking and coffee and smoking cigarettes and diners at like 2 a.m. is great. And you can't do that anymore. Which, yeah, I think that might be for the best in the long run. (laughs) Did you, you started all this before the global pandemic. It's a kind of a pointless hypothetical because alcoholism is bad, obviously. But Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that this has helped you over the last 11 months in ways that your former life, well, your former life wasn't sustainable. You'd probably be dead. So that's a stupid question. Oh, yes. Did this, I'm assuming you're doing this because it's still helping you with the pandemic. Yeah, it started a few years ago um, when I I got my first really steady grounded job in LA, which was in a science adjacent capacity. I, I was a copywriter for a company that was doing scientific stuff and I got to hang out and talk to scientists and that's actually kind of what got me really invested in this was seeing how interesting the studies were on psychedelics and depression and how it was becoming more accepted and I think that's what got me involved in the clinical trials and I found it was a really good supplement to the meditation practice that I was doing and some of the therapy that I was doing. Um, But I would say it absolutely, yeah, I have no idea what things, how things could have been different during the global pandemic. If you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I would have said, there's absolutely no way I can survive that much time, you know, under those conditions, I would go barking mad. And not only have I not done that, but I've accomplished a number of things that I'm pretty proud of. And I've not fallen off the wagon. And really, I haven't even come close. So I would say, whatever got me to that point, I can't really complain about it. 
You, Me, Them, Everybody is Made by Me, Brandon Weatherby. Our theme music is by Daniel Knox. Our art is by Jillian Ron. You can hear all 13 years of shows at you, me, them, everybody.com. If you're listening to this in Spotify or on iTunes, the last year of episodes are available uh, with some sprinklings of the other ones. If you want the rest of the catalog, which features over 700 episodes, you, me, them, everybody.com. Our Patreon page is on our about page. It's all there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. At sign YMTE. Thanks for listening. I'll hug the places that you've been sleeping. Friends and family I'll be keeping. Won't 